So, welcome to another episode of Brave New Words, brought to you in association with Starburst Magazine, The Wonky Spanner, and Fab Radio International dot com. Um, much thanks to Starburst Magazine for throwing as many books as possible at us so we can talk about them whilst ducking. Uh, <laughs> I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with. Hi, it's Dal. Hi, I'm Ross. And today's theme is space! Um, a sound effect that I've merely done simply to make the wave meter on the computer go up and down a lot. This is Fab Radio International. Uh, so, I have a book in my hand. You do. The audience uh, can't see it though, because it's radio. That's a good point. I should wave it at the, at the microphone in a very special way until they can find out what it is. By which I mean I should tell them. Um, this is The Nine Fox Gambit. It's by Yoon Ha Lee and is out on Solaris Books, uh, who are the same people as Rebellion, uh, 2008, Abaddon Books and so on. Um, I will I will read the, the blurb. Captain Kel Cheris of the Hexarcher... I'll try to read <laughs> the blurb. Captain Kel Cheris of the Hexarchart is disgraced using unconventional methods in a battle against heretics. Kel Command gives her the opportunity to redeem herself by retaking the fortress of Scattered Needles, a star fortress that has recently been captured by heretics. Cheris' career isn't the only thing at stake. Force falls, the Hexarchart itself might be next. Cheris' best hope is to ally with the undead tactician Shudash Judeo. The good news is that Judeo has never lost a battle and he may be the only person who can figure out how to successfully besiege the fortress. The bad news is that Judeo went mad in his first life and massacred two armies, one of them his own. As the siege wears on, Cheris must decide how far she can trust Judeo because she might be his next victim. Now, I'm not going to lie, from that, I don't think I followed the first few paragraphs. <laughs> Sometimes I'm with the back of a blurb, I, I call it capital letters where you know you, you are suddenly introduced on a blurb to lots of names of things without an awful lot of what are they yeah and you I mean some, okay sometimes it's you know it's more fantasy token thing where it's the sword of destruction and you get capital letters on these things and sometimes it's words you can't pronounce I don't know mm. whether okay. that's a good thing so this is high concept space, space opera okay now it's back as a thing high concept space opera um, there's a number of um, it's mostly non-English Writers, to okay. be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole bunch of... The Quantum Thief is a good example of high-concept space opera, where you have big things going off in space, and it involves an understanding of quantum physics and quantum chain and this sort of thing. This bends that idea, so you've got big science and big concepts, to the point where it's basically magic. Right. Oh, that's cool. So you've got you've got space, you've got... You've got what this book features is it features big space battles. It features the main character, um, Kel Charis, who is very, very precise. If you say what I mean, they do what they're told. They're very kind of formal as a person, as a character. It took me a while to get into them because I was like, you are... St- there is nothing to you. You're very two-dimensional. And I realised, no, actually, you're a very complicated person who is desperately tacking to the wind of, some- of this shifting reality. Sometimes you're referring to this person in plural. Is that uh, a spoiler? Or am I just... I'm, I th- I'm more confused. <laughs> um, they are one person. Right. Uh, it's 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 not right. Okay, so um, if you understand, 
if, if the way the world of Nine Fox Gambit world works is that if you have the right sort of equations, you can affect reality that way. Like, um, kind of like, is it like a superposition kind of thing? Yeah. So you've okay, got, that makes sense. So you've got everyone has everyone has. So there's a calendar that's influenced by people who reinforce their own calendar, mm-hmm. and you can force people to reinforce that calendar by basically hitting them very hard. So, <laughs> so I think I understand, and then you say more things. <laughs> so, so manipulation by percussive maintenance, right? Sort of. It's like. Uh, right, so ideas affect maths, maths affect ideas. The way that someone behaves affects their their concept of reality itself. Okay. And so, for example, everyone is a number, everyone is a cog in a machine. Um, if they are influenced in a particular way, then the equations fall down, which means that the shields in your space station can collapse. It means the very laws of physics. If you move out of out of uh, out of synchronicity with everyone else, you can affect the society as a whole. You can cause things. You can cause the, the physics that they run on to not work. Right. So you have to be part of the the whole, the whole collective. That's a lot of pressure. The, 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 hence the because of maintenance. Um, this... every, ev- everyone is pretty much, you know, they're they're forcing them the right formation. Um, every physical expression is part of the maths itself, uh, and the right sort of maths can cause all sorts of mayhem, all sorts of control. And you have these different disciplines and these different worlds, kind of worldviews, kind of don't mesh against each other. So you have one perfect machine in one way, and you have another perfect machine in another way. But as soon as those two machines clash, and by machines I mean societies, as soon as they two clash, they start to rub against each other and start causing chaos and mayhem and destruction, hence war. Okay. Um, so all of that is in the background. So that's kind of the bo- uh, the, the the backdrop to it. Um, the the guy the main character character has to talk to is a ghost. When when the blurb says undead, they're a, they're an after expression of an equation. They're a thing that's gone lost, okay. essentially, and they've been what's left of them has have, has been grafted into shadows to be made into a thing. Okay, so is it almost like they were supposed to be there, but there was an issue, and now they're not there, but they have to be there for the thing to work? Yes. Right. So now that I've explained the weirdness of the magic. Oh, okay. Okay, yep, that's explained. Yeah, we, we understand. Magic. Badly. We're with you. Yep. It's ma- wizards did it in Runaway. Math wizards did it in Runaway. It's okay. magic and it's fiction. This is all I need to remember, and I'm sure I will understand. Magic powered spaceships. Yeah. Or yep. yeah, magic powered Death Stars. Yeah. So it's mili- but it's also military science fiction. Yeah. Because everyone has to behave in a certain way for the magic to work. The right number so, of redshirts have to die on this mission for it to succeed. Sort of thing. Right, okay. If it's predicted in the calendar, that's how it works. That's how it works. Okay. If if the, if the rules of reality that they've prescribed work that way, providing that you don't step outside those rules, right. you'll be fine. If you step outside those rules, then chaos happened. Yeah, okay. How did people make a calendar? Um, are they magic magic people who use the equations to understand what the next equations are going to be part of the greater magic ah. but this is also military SF so it's all got it's, it's, so a lot of it is yes sir we'll fly those spaceships into doom and sort of thing because the overarching thing is this is all very clever and all very high concept but at the same time what we've basically got is a story about an elite fight, uh, an elite military officer blowing up a Death Star 
yeah. as space holders. So it's a very simple idea with some very weird ideas grafted on, with some other very weird grafted ideas grafted on. And then suddenly there's a bit of a switch around and a turnaround without giving any spoilers. So you sit there and go, so it's one of those books where you sit there and you go, right, right, oh, that's cool. How did that work? If, <laughs> if I'm sort of understanding it right, and okay, this might be a complete tangent, but it's like, okay, this Star Wars happened the way it did because these are the rules you accept like the Force exists. Yeah. And Star Trek happens like this because you accept that transporters and other things exist. And if we had a crossover thing, none of those rules apply anymore because that's, that's where we get fuzzy. That's a very interesting way of putting it. And not quite, but yes. Okay. Um, so talking about the writing... Dara's looking confused for the, for the benefit of listeners at home. Talking about the writing, what we have here is we have... Dara needs con- more tea. We have high concept space opera. Yes. Very broadly. You've said those words a lot and they still don't make more sense than they did before. <laughs> I feel like you're justifying it with the name of the genre. Dara will listen to the show again in future and we'll understand it better the second time No, sure. Um... Uh, equations are magic maths is magic okay so continue is that just what I can do yeah it's just magic maths it's it's the writing style the thing is the writing style is extremely pretty so whilst you're in the reading zone you're like oh I get this oh I guess oh I guess oh that's really and then something blunt and horrible will happen you'd be like you take them straight out of it and then you go wow and then you go back into it so it's got that horrors of war element to the writing and to the world building um, yet at the same time you're like but this is this is flat out weird as, as big sci-fi concepts go um, it's like someone has taken the quantum thief Mm. and a Dan Abnett Warhammer 40k novel and made them make space babies <laughs> and what you end up with is you end up with a thing that's like it sort of appeals to the pretentious mathy sciencey side to me but even though the, all the science is nonsense because all the science is nonsense right? yeah yeah it's my science is magic it's it's nonsense but it's cool in the way that it's like well if this works this way and this works this way therefore goldfish and you're like no but okay that's cool because everyone believes everyone follows society that way to make society mm. work to make the to make the spaceships fly they they work that way it's not quite like that but mm. you've um, given me enough fake science that I feel validated in your concept like you've thought about it enough to think about the issues I would have with this and it's written in a very kind of lyrical prose style so it keeps going okay. and keeps going and keeps going and then explosion time because it's military sci-fi so you just sit there going well I like this oh they're all dead and it's that so <laughs> spoilers it's <laughs> space. and they've got many lives sometimes that's a very and if they weren't <laughs> and the, the math said they should be there yeah? Sort of. Um, is it any good? Yes. Is it weird? Absolutely. Do I like it? Yes. Um, is it one of those books that you find yourself reading again because you want to work out what's going on? Yes. Should I have reread this book before reviewing it on the show? Absolutely. Um, is it worth your time? It's going to be one of those books that people are going to keep talking about. And one of the reasons they're going to keep talking about it is because there's so many nice ideas and it's so nicely put together mm. that you just find yourself going ooh uh, the experience it's at the whole is not as much fun as the various parts and moving parts of it and I do find myself like much of the characters in the books rebelling against certain stretches it puts into into the, the story but that kind of makes it the challenge that kind of makes it fun um, so that's Nine Fox Gambit and that's out now what's really interesting is in all of that review and it's been one of the things that's been very different to that to anything else 
we've reviewed together is you've not discussed any of the characters at all it's almost like the world is the story and the people are just there to get you through the story a part of that is because the main the two main characters one of the main you said one was a ghost and that was it that was literally the one of the main mention. characters is so spoilertastic that if I was to go into it too much detail he'd be like oh okay <laughs> and the other character is literally a cipher in the sense that they are they are there to describe the world to you yeah but it's the world that stars in here if you see what I mean and it's a world where people are cogs in a larger machine yeah so um I I actually don't care much about the cows uh throughout the story I'm supposed to I think but I don't actually care too much about about them as a as a concept or as a race um but I enjoyed being carried by the story um but yeah you're right it's it's an odd book in the sense that your sense of empathy is for is it's for watching the mechanisms in the world mm. if that makes any sense yeah from the blurb as well when you're going through that um judeo sounds a little bit like if david gemmel's dross had cracked like it, it kind of you get i get that i just from as i said it's been i've i've known this character for a whole three sentences um but you just kind of got that i that idea of yeah like gnarly man that saw some things and it's also that whole yeah it's that, that are you willing to make those sacrifices and as a reader you're like I understand why you wouldn't but this in places it feels quite Ender's Game mm. in the sense that you're like you, you want to examine that kind of the morality side of it further I keep saying as you keep saying I keep saying high concept space opera and it's high concept space opera but it's high concept space opera that uses um Ideas, you know, normally when people say words like that, they mean, oh, well, there's a planet made of water, and there's another one made out of fire, and they're fire and ice, and it's like, that's not high concept, that's fantasy. Whereas this takes the notion of, you know, a physics driven universe and mm-hmm. goes, well, what if it was more like magic? Pow. And so it's like, it's like someone's actually gone into the controls of a science fiction world, the settings that make a science fiction world, and fiddled with the knobs. That's exactly what you and Hadley's done. They fiddled with the definition of sci fi to create something that looks like sci-fi, feels like sci-fi, but is actually a fantasy novel. That's very interesting. Uh, kind of, and, and not like something that kind of exists elsewhere as well. Um, like there's a few... I like that books are doing that, that now, taking interesting um, bits of science and then going, ooh... It doesn't feel limited by its own genre. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Um, and also, Spaceships Makes Fingers Boom, which is one of my favourite bits of, of sci-fi in general. Um, it's not... I mean, expanding this further and talking about stuff like, say, Ender's Game. To me, I really like the, the, the novel Ender's Game. Not a massive fan of Olsen Scott Cord at all. I don't think many people are. Not anymore. Um, no. His later stuff is a bit pants, to be honest, as well. But Ender's Game's great. The movie was alright. It was a bit boring in places, but it was alright. Um, and it's, I think one of the reasons why people keep going back to that and they keep imprinting on it is because it's got all the bits that you want from a sci-fi story. Space battles, morality, explosions. Um, and when you think about it, you can define Star Wars the same way, the, the, the hit movie Star Wars. You've got everything. You've got a, a mystic religion, you've got a sense of morality, and you've got things that go boom. Um, things that go boom are good. Well, a planet and, a, and one Death Star. Spoilers for Star Wars, in case you haven't seen it. Um, if you haven't seen it, actually stop the show. D- just stop. Stop listening. Go and watch Star Wars. What are you doing? <laughs> Come back, listen to the rest of the show. It won't enhance your enjoyment of Star Wars at all, but, you know. um... Don't be alarmed. 
It's only a laser sword fight. Don't be scared. It's only the Death Star destroying another world. Relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun. Director George Lucas and 20th Century Fox present... Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance. Starburst Radio. The greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. Big space opera. What is your favourite big space opera book? <laughs> this suggests I've read a big space opera book. Um, no, I have to say, I I like genre fiction. I like reading to be taken out of the world that I'm in. And if you're going to take me out of the world that I'm in, take me out of the world that I'm in. Um, predominantly, it's what I read. But I'm much more of a fantasy reader than a sci-fi reader. Oddly enough, not with television. Like films, I love fantasy films. But in terms of television, sci-fi seems to get good budget and fantasy gets rubbish budget. So I watch I watch a lot of sci-fi. I just don't happen to read much. Um, that being said, really love 2001 A Space Odyssey. But I think that's because of the fact that the film is one of my favourite films, so I was always going to love the book. Like, it's intended for that to be a thing. But I don't know if I'd say that was a space opera. I think 2001's an interesting... Because it was, it was a movie and a book. Yeah, and it was designed same, that way. It was designed for you to watch the film and read the book, which is obviously a, a very unusual concept. Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick kind of created that concept together and had that idea together like very it's art just everything about it is interesting I saw an absolutely heartbreaking piece of footage about 2001 mm. so obviously so roughly when 2001 was coming out um, SETI Joddle Bank specifically mm. had discovered um, a beat there like a like a constant signal like there'd be a big spike signal and then a long pause then a big spike signal then a long pause and they could point their radio telescopes at part part of space and they would hear this big spike signal and a long pause and a big spike signal like a clock beating oh. like a sentience talking to us and this happened this discovery happened around about 2001 and Arthur C. Clarke is being incredibly reserved when he's talking about his his thing and he's like and we've found this thing scientists at Joddle Bank have discovered this thing and he's talking about pulsars which is a natural phenomenon because of the, the clockwork mechanisms of, of the universe themselves. Pulsars just happen. It's it's two, two stars rotating against mm. each other and they hit a certain point and they release this amount of energy and it goes off, bang, because they're orbiting each other at a regular rhythm. But at that point when that movie came out, there was just the, and you can see in his voice, you can hear in his voice this, this tone of incredibly reserved excitement. Yeah, he's incredibly excited, but he's not getting excited publicly. But you know that he's just like, yes, yes, and the movie's coming out, and also Alien Life, hooray! <laughs> Meant to be. I, I wasn't sure if it was going to answer your question, but the, the example that just came to mind for me was Contact, which was Carl Sagan's novel, which has also been a, a film with Judy Foster. Judy Foster, Judy yeah. Foster yeah. Um, but I. I don't think I'm not quite sure I've seen the, the film the entire way through. I think I may have keep, keep, keep catching it in the middle. But the book itself, we kept going through 
if we were going to make contact with an alien spe- you know, species, how would we do it? Well, here is here's the mathematics. Here's you know, how we could communicate in a language which is truly universal. Here are prime numbers, and here's how we would encode all of this information. And it's very, very nicely wrapped together as a novel. Um, that idea that we can somehow talk to the other intelligent life forms out there and there's a lot of optimistic hope that we're you know that we aren't alone that we can talk to there's a great little short story that i think lots of people have read which is called they're made of meat um which is uh i can't remember the author it's always attributed to someone very famous and it's not it's just you know an everyday science fiction author not that you know he's unremarkable it's just not hugely famous and the idea of they're made of meat is every other sentient in reality in space mm. is crystalline or purely mathematical or mm. some sort of energy wave and they discover humans and they go what that's disgusting <laughs> and they're just repulsed at these blobby creatures wandering around and like oh so are they like these the, you know, the crab creatures no no they don't have a crystalline brain it's all meat and they sing how do they sing well they, you know when meat hits meat yeah they use that to make sounds <laughs> and because you know and then it goes on to explain that because we're incredibly limited beings and we can only exist in one level of reality they we can be safely ignored by all these other all these other sentences mm. that are floating around and it, the, the the stinging i'm spoiling the short story for you entirely there's a sting at the end where they're talking about you know the loneliness of space but they ignore the disgusting meat creatures and it's that is one of those little sci-fi concepts again that that is actually a high sci-fi concept the idea that mankind suddenly realizes that we've been ostracized and then like like an angry teenager decides to go on a rampage yeah <laughs> which you can totally see as a as an idea and as a concept um i've pulled out actually from the, the bootleg shelves we've got a copy of um Officer Clark's uh, A Space Odyssey. Obviously, of course we do, on our shelves. Um, but, but we've got Folio Society version. This one's pretty. So these the Folio Society books are gorgeous. We've talked about these before, and I'm afraid we're going to be talking about these randomly because we just find them so pretty. And it's so pretty. I'm going to give this one to Del. And you talk about the pretty. It is very, very pretty. Like, even just the cover, and it's just a face with a helmet on with lights. And shiny eyes. Very shiny eyes. But no, I think this... It's so just block. Oh, there was a picture. <laughs> it's a, it, yeah, it's illustrated because it's Folio Society. So it's the only time you'll find a 2001 that's illustrated because obviously they aren't normally. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm, this is wonderful radio because I'm just making noises at things. But I'm especially amused because uh, Del told me off earlier for liking the idea of a book with pictures in it. What? When did I do that? Eva Bing, tell me when this happened. I did. Ah, uh, lies. <laughs> It's all lies. It's shiny, it was shiny. a comic book, I think, really. But you know, I, I happened to make. I just happened to say it was a book with pictures, and she looked at me disapprovingly. Here's oh thing. no, that might have been something. I don't think that was that. Here, here's the thing with book with pictures and graphic novels, though, is that when people go, "Oh, well, you can just convert the graphic novel into a novel," it's like, how do you do that? A picture holds a thousand words. Yeah. There's there's at least eight thousand words plus two hundred and fifty on the page. So that's and there's at least twenty pages per comic book per per chapter. That's it's a series. Yeah, as a series. How on earth can in the the answer of course is what Neil Gaiman does, which is he completely rewrites it. The never mm. the never comic book, which I believe was written by M. R. Carey, is totally different from it's not totally different, it's the same story, but it's written differently, the beats are different, the story is different. Yeah. I think a medium fits a story and a story fits a medium. Um so like Audrey Niffenegger, um, who did The Time Traveller's Wife is a graphic novelist. 
but when she was thinking the story through she couldn't think of a way that the artist could do the actual moment of time travel that wouldn't look naff so she wrote a novel because then it's your brain creating that image and that's not naff station 11 turns out on its head that's a novel that has elements about comic books in them or comic books as things to collect um but there's an edition of that book talking about easter eggs that you get in the physical book Mm. um where you open the page and there's a little torn strip of the comic strip in the pages and you're just like oh my god an artifact like an artifact of the world that you have immersed yourself into has fallen into your hands Uh. and that one picture is literally a thousand words it's not literally a thousand words it tells you so much about the world itself in that one moment that you're like but all the pretty. There is also the reason I brought this up. Of course, is there's also Dune, and I'm trying desperately trying to get onto high concept space up where we talk about Frank Herbert's oh. Dune, which is one. But um, I do love Dune. I do a lot. Does that count then? Is that a space opera as oh, well? It's definitely a space opera. That's one of the things Ooh. I define. I would say that's one of the grandfathers of space opera. Um, just Maybe ta- that then. Talking briefly about um, about that. Because we were just perving at the... Um, perving, is perving the right word? Perving it at is the very pretty. Folio Society version. We've got on the, the bookworm shelves the folio edition of June. And, oh my God, that's even prettier, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, it, it's got ears, though, because it's... Oh, no, no, it is. I'm weeping. Because, I mean, I'm just going to... Shit. <laughs> Ross has to move around, guys. Sorry. I, I'm just going to skip to the page with Alia on it. Uh, and... Again, this is terrible radio, but we'll put this on the website. We'll put the various bits and pieces on the website. Again, the Folio Society do a version where it's a, it's a hardcover case into a little book boxy thing that you can slit, insert in, and it's full of illustrations. And one of the things with Dune is because it's so big as a world, yeah, that it's nice to have the illustrations. I think Dune is just so interesting as well. Like the first book in June because June is three isn't it yeah but the first book I thought that would be the entire story I thought that was the story I was signing up for and then it ended at the first book and my head literally went what possibly could the rest of this be about completely bonkers oh my goodness you know you're like I'm pleased that we haven't left this world and I love that I'm learning more about it but mm, what like oh it's just stunning but it's that idea in in um Gosh, it's been such a long time since I read it. Is it Jessica, the mum? Yes. Yeah, the bit when um, Jessica is sad, but she feels too guilty to cry because even tears feel like an affront because of the waste of water. It's heartbreaking. Like, oh, and things as well. Like, if you, if you're, when you're sad, trying not to cry makes it so much worse. And uh, it's, oh, it's just a, a lovely, lovely thing. It's a beautifully ren- rendered world. I mean, Obviously, as a bloke, I'm like, giant worms! It's got giant worms! <laughs> it's got giant I'm, I'm just flipping to the bit with, um, it came from the southeast, hissing a sand whisper, and you've just got this plate in the, the Buddhist Society version where this enormous thing is just rising out. And I remember the first time when I was reading it, many, many years ago, I'm not going to even pretend to, to try and work out how old I was, but I was quite young, and scoring oh my god, there's giant monsters in this and it's in space and it has <laughs> giant monsters in it. Um, but that's the thing, one of the things I find really interesting about stories like Dune is that we see it as this is a story in space. It's like, no, it's just a story on a different planet. It's just a different world. 
It could easily be empires. It on could, the planet it, yeah. And easily be different parts. You've got of the this world. idea of like, no, like, like, yes, the world they happen to be on this planet, and it is a weird and mental planet. But I think the the reason why it's kind of you've got the idea of a space story is because there's travel across planets, isn't there? Like they've they've come to that planet from another planet, haven't they? And, and things like that. Which um, is why they need the spice. You know, yeah. Do we need to summarize June for the listeners? Read it. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think we do. I mean, yeah, pause Star Wars. Read you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, just put pause Star Wars for a little bit. Go, go put Dune. Get, yeah, just gonna say go put Dune on, but it's because no, 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 don't do that. No, <laughs> you don't need to read so, it. Uh, <laughs> Rackus is is the planet. Is Dune is the planet? It there's nothing on there. Um, it's complete wasteland. It's desert, desert isn't and it? it's Death Valley style de- de- desert in the sense that if you go out unprepared, you will die. Except they have spice. Except there, there is spice. There, there is these veins of this weird space drug, um, and you take enough spice, and you can see through reality, and you can use that to twist and warp space to go anywhere. So everywhere wants to go onto this wasteland, which is horrible. Mm. And if you put a, a foot wrong. You, you'll die and because this is a feudal society even though it's in space which is on your point that it's you know that it could be set anywhere because this is a feudal society one specific feudal house has control of them and then other feudal houses are doing their damnedest to stop that from happening mm. so there's this series of warfare going on and during that you get this whole Essentially, there's a whole messiah subplot. There's a whole messiah plot yeah. where a very specific uh, series of events from the people who live there, because people will live anywhere, but from the Fremen, the people who live on Dune, they have a very specific prophecy, and because of the machinations of various houses, this prophecy happened. And we're doing my summary of Dune. I think that's about right. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the interesting things about it as well is what it's not just it's not a drug war turf story in its entirety. Um, and I think especially in the first book, you've got this idea of of a drug drugs war turf war kind of thing going on. But then you also throw in that idea that water isn't so much a commodity; is water is almost a status symbol, isn't it? Like because it's a desert, everybody everybody is dying of thirst pr- pretty much all the time. Um, and it's not that the rich people have water and poor people don't have water it's that rich people abuse water as well and that's it's like a it's a huge part of how respect works um and one of the ways that they kind of utilize to show us that the family that we've gone to this world with are not like the other people on this world um i would argue that june is a core text in the sense that yes Lo- the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings, are cortex. Yeah. If you're a fantasy oh my fan, goodness. you've got to you, you've got to have read the Lord of the Rings to call yourself a fantasy fan. You don't have to. There's no rules. By the way, we should always say that. <laughs> there's no actual hard and fast rules. We're not gonna we're not gonna come around as the genre police and stop you. But you know, you've missed out. If you've sub- significantly missed out in the world of fantasy, if you've not tried to read the Lord of the Rings, and I think you've significantly missed out in the world of sci-fi. If you've not tried to read read you, sorry, I'm mm. just imagining the uniforms of the genre, please. <laughs> oh, they're, they're different depending. Um, you know, probably red shirts, to be honest. Oh, see, I was thinking something a bit dread-like. <laughs> Surely, there's got to be a helmet. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be faceless as well, so you can, can't tell who it is. Yeah. I, and I want a cosplay as a genre place. I want to get a bunch of, or possibly the cosplay place. I just do a whole website and we'll turn up and go, we are the cosplay place. And then be really nice and fluffy and like hand out like gaffer tape and. and yeah, those are the people with sewing kits. Uh, sewing kits and stuff. Aww. Like a bandolier, like a bandolier of sewing kits all the way around. Aww. So you can turn up and go, but, but be really stern and serious and like, we are the cosplay place. Actually, do you need to repay? Um, but you know, that would work. But yeah, June is. I mean, June's an entirely massive series, and we really we could probably at some point we'll do maybe a longer show. Because mm. yeah. my my copy of June is all three books in in one book, and it's still manageable. It's like one of the you know generally when you've got books, there's kind of that three standard sizes, and then some people deviate, which is stupid. Um, but mine is like you know when you get some books that are small books. Yeah, mine's one of like the smaller versions of a novel, but and it's still not crazy fat. They like, and I don't know. I don't know how they manage that, but they have quantum quantum booking. You see, we have the Folio Society version now, but what we could use that is we could use that to kill a burglar yeah. quite easily because that's quite heavy. It's very pretty. It's also it's one of the problems of very nicely well built books. Oh. I think is that you don't actually want to get them out too often. No, even the box is nice. Like, oh. But June, June's one of those things where because you, uh, you, you talk about the plot of June and I immediately think of Emir Durant and his memory of Portland which is about first and starvation. And then you also immediately mm. think about the Game of Thrones uh, because of various yeah, houses might. fighting with each other. <laughs> um, well, this is the thing because um, the entire houses' house politics, George R. R. Martin's been there before. Yeah. He did a wildcard series novels. And in the wildcards books, um, you have Dune-style houses, essentially, of psychics, of telepaths, of all telepaths, because George R. R. Martin is obsessed with mind control. Um, but you have these different different kind of telepathic houses and that's the background and the backstory to what is essentially a very silly superhero setting the wild card the wild card series is about a, a disease that you get that kills you or turns you into a superhero or mutant like a horrible squiggly monster and it's called wild cards because the probabilities can be described by a deck of cards so if you get an ace you get a superpower if you draw a joker you <laughs> go all squiggly, squiggly monstrous any other card you die but the guy who invented this is an alien noble from an alien from from an alien noble house. And at one point, they go back to the alien noble family homeworld, and it's basically Dune without sandworms. Aww. If you see what I mean, it's, it's set on a it's set on a, one of the more richer planets, rather than you know all these little houses, all these little houses beating each other up. And it's got one of my favourite George Orwell Martin line, lines in it, which is, "We used to be such friends when we were children. What happened?" You survived to adulthood. <laughs> and it's just that, oh, that, that explains the ruthlessness of this world in two sentences. <laughs> you lived, therefore I have to kill you now. Sucks to be you. And it's that sort of... And I, I've always gone into the Game of Thrones with that general approach. But these characters could have been lovely to each other as kids. Mm. Game of Thrones mm. makes sense with that, yeah. <laughs> but, but you shouldn't have had to read the entire works of George Orwell Martin to get an insight into I suppose I suppose that's true of any of them. I can't think of anything else that Frank Herbert did that isn't June. No. And I have a horrible confession to make. I like the first book. Yeah. I like the second two okay. Yeah. Then I start to kind of wobble. <laughs> I have to say. I'm like, I'm less excited now. I really like the first one. And then I think I think by the time we get to is it Children of Dune? I can't remember oh, the series pfft. now. But by the time we get to like as as we repeat them along, I'm just like, mm. 
less excited. But I, I wonder if that's a I wonder if that's a thing of space opera. I wonder if that happens with any space opera that once you get past the initial oh my god spaceships giant space worms falling space space worms etc. Mm. Do we lose? Do you lose that kind of? Yeah, I suppose because like in in book one, it's all about like in house, isn't it? Like we we barely leave. Um, the, 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 I suppose the manner of sort that they live in and then it all kicks off at the end of that one I think we spend a little bit of time on a military base and that's about it like we go on trips out of, of civilization, but then the second book is is based solely in the desert isn't it like just desert 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 with deserty people doing deserty things and learning more about the desert and as it gets weirder you're just yeah. like oh, I'm less excited by this now as we, as we mm. go forward but that whole the why am I thought you came? Is a thing that I keep going back to because it's a pirate that's stolen everything from everywhere. So in 40k, for example, you have navigators. In June, you have navigators. Oh, in the early drafts of 40k, they took spice. Uh, they then are they genetically modified, so they've got the weird third eye. They have houses of navigators. They have houses of navigators that that you know argue and fight amongst each other and navigate and bend and warp space. But obviously, it being Warhammer 40k, which is really a fantasy setting. I'm not because this <laughs> In the same way that we can say that Lone Fox Gambit, which we were talking about at the top of the show, is a fantasy setting, we can absolutely, absolutely say that for you here is fantasy setting. Because it's got orcs and elves in it for a start. Science is magic. Is that what we're going for again? I think I think we've gone round in a circle. Across the world, 24 hours a day. Thank you very much for that. So, uh, I think it's time to say goodbye. So, I've been your host, Ed Vaudrian. Uh, I'm Del. I'm Ross. Bye! Bye! Bye.